Welcome to the Business of Life podcast. Don't let fear and disengagement dictate the way you run your business or your life. Revolutionize the way things are done. Innovate, affect change, find your purpose. Friends, welcome to episode three of the Business of Life podcast. Today, the podcast, I feel like you get tens of thousands worth of consulting for your business for free. This guy is going to give you so much practical advice on things you can implement in your business today and how to retain customers. And not only that, I think our conversation really helps dispel some of the the kind of notion that you get at times that people that got to success maybe got there without a huge amount of struggle. I mean, this guy has a really interesting story, great stories about, you know, being knocked down, getting pushbacks and then getting up and continuing again, maybe taking wrong paths and getting back to where you want to go. It's a really interesting thing. It's got a lot of take-homes in this conversation. We're talking to Joey Coleman today. He's a speaker, he's a consultant, he's the chief experience composer at Design Symphony and the author of the best-selling book, Never Lose a Customer Again. Welcome with me, Joey Coleman. Oh, Hannon, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, true pleasure to have you here, Joey. Um, just for the people who don't know you, I'd love if you could give us a bit of an overview of your career so far and how you got into you know, being an expert in customer experience and customer retention. Sure. So my career has been very, very eclectic. Okay. Uh, some might say he can't hold a job. I like to think of it as I'm always finding new things that I'm interested in. At least that's my perspective. Uh, so I studied government and international relations in college. I went straight to law school where I studied international law, litigation, and national security law. I worked for the Secret Service. I worked in the White House. I worked for the Central Intelligence Agency. I became a criminal defense defense lawyer. I did that for a while. I was a business consultant. I ended up teaching at the postgraduate level. I ran a division of a promotional products company. Then I started my own ad agency and I ran that for over 15 years. And then I became a full-time speaker. And that's what I am today. Basically a full-time speaker and author and consultant teaching companies how to keep their customers. And the thread, if you will, that ties all those different jobs together is that in each of those jobs, the way you succeeded was by having a keen understanding of the human condition. Why do humans do the things they do? And what can we do to influence or persuade or convince them to do the things we'd like them to do? So when I was a criminal defense lawyer, it was, what can I do to convince this jury that my guy didn't do it? When I was, you know, selling promotional products, it was, how can I get you to buy more widgets? When it was running my ad agency, it's how can I convince people to visit a website more or respond to an advertisement more or feel an emotional connection to a logo? Yeah. In each of these positions, it was about human psychology and the human dynamics. And that's really what sparked my interest in customer experience and employee experience and how we can marry those two to create the kind of remarkable interactions that will keep our businesses growing. Yeah, I think that's so key as well because I think so many people differentiate between the customer experience and then completely forget about their employees and how their experiences of work. When, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of what you talk about and what you've written in it differently. When you look at one of them and you have employees who are engaged in their work and what they're doing, the customers are just off the back of it are going to see that experience and feel a much more engaged experience in the brand as well. 
And I mean, it just, it's just like an overall purpose of business, isn't it? If you, everyone's driving towards the same goal, you're going to be, you're going to be winning. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I often think of it as two sides of the same coin. As you shine up and improve the side of the coin that deals with the customer experience, your employees get happier because they're dealing with happier customers. As yeah. your employees get happier, your customers that are calling in are dealing with happier employees. So they become happier and all boats rise together. It's, you know, yeah. you improve one, you improve the other, you don't pay attention to one, you start to lose the other as yeah. well. So true. I was, I was talking uh, last week. I had Jesse Cole, who, I th- who you know, don't you? You're- oh, I'm, I'm very good friends with Jesse <laughs> yeah. Cole. Oh, so I'm going to have to amp up my energy about 10 times <laughs> higher than it is right now because Jesse is full on, as they say, oh, all the, the time. Tuxedo. Yeah. Love, love Jesse and yeah. the yellow tuxedo but, and the Savannah which, bananas. Um, I found incredible with Jesse, which I didn't know. I mean, obviously, they have a crazy experience when you go to the Savannah bananas, but he was saying their their retention rate for their employees because he said most of them were millennials and you know average millennials turn yep. over within the first year you know exponentially amounts of time. He was saying their average has been something like almost just under three years, and I was like, well, it's just such a clear example, you know, when you've all got something that's customer focused, especially because I think you like naturally everyone loves to you do something that's nice for other people and actually feel like what you're doing is worthwhile, you'd stay around, right? Because it's just a fun place to be. You're contributing beyond yourself. It's a, it's a great thing to do. And, I, yeah, and no. one thing I, I loved about um, your book was it, it really practically put out into the eight phases how you can go about structuring that into your business. Because I think for a lot of people, it seems overwhelming and, and they can't kind of navigate where to start but you clearly lay it out. It'd be great, Joe, right. if you could give us a, you know, a flyby of the phases and what we're looking at here. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I, and I appreciate that, Hannah, very much. You know, one of the things that I think often comes up in the world of customer experience and customer service and, you know, this touchy-feely, how do we make our customers feel when we interact with them? One of the challenges is it feels very amorphous. It feels just, oh, it's emotions, it's feelings. And most people struggle to translate that into systems and processes in their business. And so what I wanted to do in writing the book and coming up with this methodology that I refer to as the first hundred days is really look at the first hundred days of the customer life cycle and say, what can we do to walk them through a series of phases where we're consciously trying to trigger certain emotions that are designed to navigate them from one phase to the next. And so uh, you're right. I kind of outline eight phases in the book. And the eight phases, for what it's worth, they all start with the letter A. And the principle there is that if you do all of these right, it's like your customers are giving you straight A's on your report card. You're getting good (laughs) grades at school. Everybody's happy. But what I'll do, if it makes sense, is I'll give a brief overview at each of the phases and we can dive into whichever or any of them that you'd like to. Perfect. That'd be great. Great. So phase one, the first phase is the assess phase. This is when a prospect is trying to decide whether or not they want to do business with you. In common parlance, we call this marketing and sales, right? They're checking out your website. They're talking to people. They might be looking and seeing how your product works. They're imagining what it would be like to sign up for your service. We then move to phase two, the admit phase. This is when the prospect admits that they have a problem or a need or a desire that they believe you can help them with. So they sign on the dotted line, they hand over their hard-earned cash, they transition from being a prospect to being a customer. Mm -hmm. 
This is day one of the first 100 days journey. Almost immediately after they sign the contract, they move into phase three, the affirm phase. In common parlance, we call this buyer's remorse. <laughs> All the research shows right after we make a decision to buy a product or buy a service, we begin to doubt the decision that we just made. All right, so what are we doing to counter those feelings of buyer's remorse? I imagine everyone who's listening to your show is familiar with the concept of buyer's remorse. But I would ask them, do you have a system and a process in your business designed to address buyer's remorse? And most don't. That's why the affirm phase is so important. We then move to phase four, the activate phase. Now, I call it the activate phase because I want you to energize the relationship, right? This is where we really kick things off. In a product scenario, this is where they receive your product. They take it out of the box. It's the unboxing experience and the first use. In a service scenario, it's where you first show up to deliver the service or maybe everybody shows up for a kickoff meeting, right? That first real moment of truth. And the secret here is to give this new customer a feeling that doing business with you is going to be unlike any business experience they've ever had. We then move to phase five. Now, phase five, Hannon, I got to tell you, this is where most businesses start to fall off the rails, right? (laughs) Phase five is the acclimate phase, okay? And in this phase, you want to hold the customer's hand, let them know where they've been, where they are, and what's coming next. Now, in the typical business, the acclimate phase can last weeks, sometimes months, maybe even years, okay? But what are we doing in this phase to make sure that the customer is conscious of where they are, what's happened, what's happening now, and what's gonna happen? Now, a lot of people, when I talk about the acclimate phase, they say, well, why do companies fall off the rails here? Well, for two reasons. Number one, most companies believe if we already told you about our process in the contract or in our sales materials, that telling you once was enough. You should know what happens next. Friends, I say this respectfully. You get directions that come with new products that you don't read. You sign contracts that you don't read. You agree to things all the time as a human being that you haven't really looked at the fine print and the details and you lose track of where you are. Compare that with the fact that as the business, you may have delivered this product or service hundreds of times, thousands of times, tens of thousands of times. So to you, it's very common, it's very familiar. But to that new customer, they have no idea what's going on. If we don't address the difference between our familiarity and confidence with our system and our product and our delivery method, with the new customer's uncertainty around where they are, what's coming next, we have major problems. And that's why most businesses struggle in the acclimate phase. We then come to phase six, the accomplish phase. Now, once they've gone completely through the acclimate phase, they'll reach a point, hopefully, where they accomplish the goal they had when they originally decided to do business with you. Every prospective customer who transitions from being a prospect to being a customer, when they make that transition, has a vision of what they're hoping to achieve, what they're hoping to accomplish. Sometimes they tell us, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we think we know what it is. Often we're misinformed as to what it actually is. Sometimes as they're going through the process, they change the finish line. They move the finish line about what they're trying to achieve or accomplish. We need to be, as businesses, be paying attention to what our customers are hoping to accomplish, tracking their progress towards that finish line, and then celebrating with them when they cross the finish line. Yeah. If we do that, and if we've 
made sure that we do all of the phases up until then, we have the privilege of coming to phase seven, the adopt phase. Now in the adopt phase, our customer becomes loyal to us and only us. They adopt the relationship. They are committed. They're not going to check with any of our competitors. They're not going to force us on price to match with other competitors. They're committed to our way of doing business. And if, and only if we get them all the way through all seven of those phases, do we come to the final, the eighth phase, the advocate phase. Okay. This is when our customer becomes a raving fan, mm -hmm. singing our praises far and wide. This is when all the referrals happen. This is the holy grail that most business owners are seeking. But the problem is they're trying to get their customers to this eighth phase immediately yeah. instead of walking them through the other phases that must happen before you reach that phase. Yeah. Before someone becomes an advocate, they have to have a belief in the quality and the reliability of your deliverings. And if they don't, you're foolish to ask them for a referral before that because they're not going to give you one. They don't want to put their reputation on the line. Yeah. So what are we doing to navigate them through all eight of those phases? And then if we do this, the good news is we have the right to sell them more products and more services. But by the way, they go back to the beginning of the journey. Every time we introduce a new product or new service, they go back to that assess phase where they're trying to decide, well, is this product a good fit for me? Is this service a good fit for me? Okay, yeah, it is. I should sign up. Oh, but what, is it really a good fit for me? Like, I know this other thing I did with the company was great, but will this thing be as great as that thing was? Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, what's that first moment kickoff of activate? Oh, how does that feel? All right, now I got to learn this new product, learn this new experience. I have to yeah. acclimate again. Oh, and then maybe I accomplished my goal and now I'm back to adopt. Yeah. And then I'm advocating for the new product or the new service. So it's a cycle. It's a wheel. It just keeps spinning and spinning. And the smartest businesses on the planet are the ones that recognize that sustainability isn't just a conversation for how your business impacts the environment. Mm -hmm. There's a conversation for how your business impacts your customers in a sustainable fashion. Are you continuing to build on the relationship capital that you've already built up? Yeah, um, it's so true because it's, I mean, like the research is so clear out there. I remember one of my favorite ones I always like quoting, I can't remember who actually did, I don't know if it was Gallup or Baines or American Express, but they were saying that I think customers and and like return customers in their 31st, 36 months spend on average about 67% more than they do in their first six months as being a customer. So obviously, the longer you can keep people coming back to you, the more and more your profits grow, but it always absolutely it, it just baffles me that so many companies have oh it's crazy the biggest chunk of their budget is on just marketing and trying to get people to to like engage with them, and then there's nothing in between. Like you said, they don't do anything to actually get them to the point where they're an advocate and a fan. They just expect absolutely. them to somehow do it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, Hannah. Well, and in, in putting together my book, what we realized is we did research and we looked at small, medium, and large businesses, international and domestic, product and service, online and offline. We, we did it. We cast a full net. Yeah. And what we found is that somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will leave before the 100-day anniversary. 
20 to 70%. These numbers are staggering and very few people in business are paying attention to it. You know, to your point, there's all kinds of conversations about how much money are we going to spend on marketing? What's our new Facebook ad campaign going to be? How are we going to get Snapchat and Instagram firing up for us? You know, we're thinking about all these different tools and techniques that we can use to drive people to the front door. When the reality is they're running out the back door as quickly as we bring them in the front. That's not a smart way to build a long-serving, sustainable business. No, no. And, and like you said, they're running out the back door to one of your competitors probably. Often, <laughs> often, them. yeah, yeah. So, so, And even if they're not going to one of your competitors, they're running out the back door with a bad taste in their mouth for your business. Yeah. So now they become not an advocate, but a detractor in the marketplace. Yeah. Where when their friend says, hey, what about Acme Company? You know, what do you think? Oh, no, geez, I was with them in two months. It was horrible. I quit before we even did the contract because, you know, oh, it was, it was just a miserable experience. When those type of negative detractors are out in the marketplace, like word of mouth, negative uh, word of mouth is significantly uh, more powerful than positive word of mouth. Because yeah. depending on whose studies you look at, if somebody has a negative experience, they will tell somewhere between 10 and 30 people about that negative experience. I don't know about you. I spend enough time out there trying to get people to say nice things that if now there's people out saying not nice things and they're saying it to lots of people, that's counterproductive to the success of your enterprise. Oh, so true. I mean, you just think about like anytime you're even thinking about engaging with a service, you, you know, you always look at their, their reviews. Right. And, and I, if I'm, I guess I'm like most people, I don't really look to see what the good reviews are. I just go through, what are the bad ones? <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, that's the reality of the world we live in today, yeah. right? It used to be that people looked for the good reviews, but yeah. now there are so many reviews. Now what most people do is they look at a couple of things. Number one, they look at the average number of stars. So if on five stars, are you a 4.8 or are you a 5.1 or are you a 3.2? Where are you at average? And then the typical customer, will look at the one and two star reviews. And when they read the one and two star reviews, what they're looking for is, is the person who wrote this review crazy? (laughs) Or is their complaint something that would be a complaint that I would have? So for example, they read a one-star review that just says, oh, I can't believe, you know, I I didn't even read this book. I just bought the book. Uh, But but based on getting it and when I held it in my hands, I thought, this is ridiculous. I don't even want to read this. Refund, hashtag sad, whatever. Now, when we read that, we're going to go, okay, you didn't even read it? You didn't even open the book? You didn't read the first page? That's a one-star review that, yes, it's sad that that author got that one-star review, but I'm not going to give that a lot of weight compared to say somebody's selling a book and the idea is that the book is going to teach you how to run faster and you're reading the book and you know the review says the book promised to teach me how to run faster i did all 48 exercises in the book i went to the field every day for 4 months and tried and i still didn't run any faster yeah well now we might look at it and go huh Maybe I should look at a different book because it seems like somebody did everything the book said they were supposed to do and it still didn't work. That's probably not the best book, right? So again, when it comes to the reviews, our customers behave the way we do as customers. So you want to be looking for how can you get the good reviews and how can you get the reviews from people who actually will speak to the practical application of your product or service in their life. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, anytime we sign up for a service or we buy a product, 
what we're really trying to say is, is my life going to be better mm. because of this? Who am I going to be? What is the vision I have of me as a customer yeah. when I have this product or when I sign up and use this service? That's what we should be striving for. Yeah, yeah. And that's because those people as well, when they have that aspirational vision of themselves, they kind of know other people with the same problem, right? Who, who want the same type of vision and they'll tell them, hey, you know, this, this worked for me, this worked for you. And you're, you're so much more likely to take the word of someone you actually know than uh, like any kind of random marketing campaign you could ever see. So when you have those people, you know, generating through referrals for you and advocating for you, like you said, your business grows. Like going back to Jesse, he was saying that they don't spend any money on marketing. Yeah, (laughs) their games and their fans are their marketing budget. I've had the pleasure of attending some of Jesse's games. First of all, it's not a game. It's a spectacle. It's a circus where a baseball game breaks out in the middle of it. Like it's not a baseball game, right? And everything about the way they deliver the experience to their audience, their customers, the way they deliver the experience to their employees is all very Uh, consciously driven towards putting the fans first and what can you do to make to celebrate your fans in a playful entertaining way and it's I mean literally it is worth the trip last summer I took my family we went to Savannah for the purpose of going to a baseball game like the only reason we did this trip was to go see a Savannah Bananas baseball game and to hang out with Jesse and his amazing wife Emily and their son afterwards so that that was a nice uh benefit for us as well but yeah it's it's really it's that simple and it's that hard yeah yeah. All you really need to do is pay attention to the experience your customers are having and everything else takes care of itself. Yeah. The problem is as business owners, we have a tendency to get busy with a lot of things that don't actually matter and we lose sight of the things that really do matter. Yeah. And I mean, when you, you talk about kind of making change, it is difficult. Obviously, it takes a lot of energy. Oh, of course. And and for you as well, have you have you come up against a lot of resistance when you try and like show a business, all right, this is where you're going wrong. You know, you need to stop doing so much at the front end and look towards retaining people. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely depends on the business, right? I mean, here's the thing. A lot of the work I do, by the time people make their way to me, most people know that they have a problem. Right. I'm and I and I don't say this from a place of ego, but like I'm at a place in my career and the type of businesses I serve have kind of looked at all the things they know how to fix. And now they're kind of in a position of, huh, things still aren't working. What do we need to be paying attention to that we're not paying attention to? And usually it's the experience that their customers are having, right? And so we we jump in and we're able to work in there. But, you know, earlier in my career, of course, I definitely spent time trying to convince people that they should care about their customers. And then I realized that, to be frank, that's not the business I wanted to be in. I didn't want to be in the business of trying to convince you to care. If you don't care, we're not going to enjoy working together, right? Yeah. And that's okay. I think... I actually think it is more important for a business to know who they don't want to have as their customers than it is for them to know who they do want to have as their customers. Because lots of times, especially when we're first starting out, we think, well, I want everyone to be my customer. All right. No, you don't. I promise you, you don't. I know you think you do. I know you've done the math in your head and you can see the dollar signs chinging and you get really excited about what that is. But the reality is 
it is better for you to be clear on the type of projects and services and customers you don't want to serve than it is to think, oh, I'll try to be all things to all people. Yeah, yeah, jack of all trades doesn't work very well. <laughs> yeah, jack of, all, jack of all trades usually ends up as master of none. Yeah, too true. So for you, I mean, this is kind of a bit more on your personal journey with the company. I'd love to know how, I mean, like, obviously, I think we all compare ourselves to other people. And especially when we're working, you're starting up like a lot of entrepreneurs that will be listening to this who are early on in their ventures will look at someone like you who's further down the track and, you know, they're well established. And they almost beat themselves up because they're not there yet. So for you, how how long did it take you to to get your your consulting to to a place where you're you know you were happy with how it was going? How long did that journey take? I mean, I've been at this for 19 years, and how about I come back and tell you when I reach that point? Yeah. Right. So the moral of the story is, I don't think in some ways you're ever done. Right. Like on one hand, am I happy where I am? Yes. Am I happy with the success and, and I that I've been able to have and the things I've been able to accomplish? Indeed. Were there lots of failures and missteps along the way? Oh my goodness, too many to count, right? Do I think I'm done? Not even close. In some ways, I feel like I'm just getting started and I am literally 19 years in. And I just feel like I'm coming into my own and really things are starting to click the way I want them to. So the reality is, you're right. It is the human condition to compare. It is the human condition to compare and contrast. Mm -hmm. But I think, uh, you know, I I saw this quote some time ago in context of uh, social media, but I think it applies particularly to business owners. Stop comparing someone else's highlight reel to your daily life, yeah, right? We, look, we, we have a tendency as humans to put people up on pedestals. We look at a business and say, oh, if only I had that many customers or, oh, if only I was as that good of looking or, oh, if only I had those type of investors or, oh, if only I had that much money or, oh, if only my product was in that cool, hot niche that everybody is excited about right now. Instead of saying, Well, what about all the things that they're struggling with right now? What about all the things they had to overcome? You know, um, I I think there's a lot of uh, deification of uh, celebrity business people, you know, and we look at a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk or, you know, whoever it may be. And we say, oh, if only I had their life. Do you really want their life? Yeah. Like actually read about what their life looks like. Talk to their ex- or ex multiple ex spouses yeah. or their children. Like th- there's the, and, and I want to be very clear. I am not being critical of Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. Okay. These are Titans of industry. They've done incredible things, but to every success they've had, they've had costs too. And if you actually get in conversation with successful business people and they let their guard down, they will let you know what the costs are. And then you get to decide, is that a price I'm willing to pay? See, everybody wants to look at the positive side of the ledger. What is this going to allow me to do? Instead of the negative side of the ledger of what sacrifices am I going to have to make in order to achieve that on the other side of the ledger? To me, that's the conversation that needs to be happening more in business, right? As we think about our goals and we think about what we're trying to accomplish and where we want to go, okay, that's fine. But are you willing to do the things that are necessary to achieve that? Yeah. Uh, so true. I mean, you just don't know 
the journey that people go on and you can just see and you'll be like, oh, their life's great. Or they have it going so great, but you just have no idea. I remember last last year in the, yeah, actually last summer, I was, um, one of my friends was playing in a band at a festival. So I went along backstage with him and hung out there for the day. And we're chatting to a guy um, who was in, who was like with them at the moment. He was the drummer for Placebo. Obviously Placebo are a massive band, right? Sure. And just as we're all leaving, he goes, oh, I'll go and bring the, like, the van around. He goes, right. And I was like, oh, why is he driving? And he goes, oh, he's the driver for our band. And I was like, what? He's the drummer. He goes, yeah, it's a tough industry, man. He's yeah. not touring. He's not getting paid. You've got to do stuff. And I was like, you would never think that, you know, probably two weeks ago, he was playing in front of 40,000 people. Now exactly. he's driving for another band, you know, just, and he's like, you just got to do what you got to do. You got to well, do what hard. you got to do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think at the end of the day, it's a piece of the entrepreneurial dream and the entrepreneurial story that most entrepreneurs don't tell publicly. <laughs> and number two, most aspiring entrepreneurs are constantly looking towards the next person up the mountain or the next pedestal without considering all the journey and path that that person went through and the sacrifices to get where they are. Being an entrepreneur, running your own business, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, the success rate for businesses is abysmal. I think, if, oh, you know, the, the last stats I saw, at least here in the United States, is uh, I, I seem to, I think I'm quoting this correctly because they, they put these studies out pretty regularly. The last one I saw was that 10% of businesses, 10% of businesses make the five-year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Horrendously small. What else in your life would you get into where you're like, well, I have a 10% chance of this working out my way, right? You'd need to be hardwired a certain way to think that the odds are in your favor, that you're going to be part of that 10%, right? And so what are we doing to be realistic? I think entrepreneurs need a certain level of uh, suspension of belief and suspension from reality to (laughs) dive into the pool and to swim this crazy race. But I also think that the more you're in it, the more useful it is to check in on a regular basis to what reality is. Um, why I think it's good to have friends who aren't involved in your business, why it's good to have friends who maybe have regular nine to five day jobs or have, uh, aspects of their life that you're interested in. I mean, look at role models, but look at the entire part, the entire aspect of the role model, not just the thing you want. Look at all the other things in their life that had to happen to achieve that one thing you want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just so true. I was talking with my wife about um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, the social movements that happen and big changes. And you look at like Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela achieved obviously incredible world-changing feats but the cost of like their family usually like when you read about their whole family life it was just in tatters and it's just like it seems to be you get that and everything don't you there's a there always is a cost and there's there's a lot of always used to pay and a lot of people just think they can just have everything without sacrificing anything (laughs) Right, right well and here's the crazy thing if you're able to achieve massive success Without a lot of sacrifice, now that you have the success, you get to lead the rest of your life never achieving that success again. Yeah. And so now you deal with that. I mean, if you look, for example, at the U.S. space program and astronauts, the number of astronauts who came back from space 
and got divorces, became alcoholics, lost all their money was insane. Like the percentage, it's crazy. Why? Because I think at some level they realized that they had been on the moon or they had orbited the earth. And what were they going to do that was that cool or that amazing again? That's why so many of these celebrities who, you know, have these falls from grace in some ways, it's not surprising because they reach the peak. And if the, if the only way you're measuring your value is by the box office, you know, the press clippings, uh, the number of fans outside your hotel after a performance, that gets really old really fast. I know it's something that seems exciting, yeah. leaning into it and standing on the other side of it. But, you know, there's a downside to this too. I mean, as a speaker, for context, uh, last year I flew 160,000 miles giving speeches. (laughs) I was on the road two and a half to three weeks out of every month. I absolutely loved it. And people look at this and they're like, oh my gosh, it must be so nice having these amazing trips and staying in nice hotels and flying first class. And don't get me wrong. That's all great. That's absolutely wonderful. Now let's talk about the downside. I have two little boys, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. I'm away from them, missing days that I'll never get back. I have the most amazing wife in the world who now that we're in this kind of COVID-19 lockdown period, I've had 103 consecutive dinners with her. (laughs) We have never had 103 consecutive dinners together in our entire decade-plus-long relationship, right? So again, shadow, light, yeah. To every light and amazing upside, there is a shadow dark side. I'm not saying don't chase the light. I'm just saying acknowledge that with every light comes a shadow and you're going to have to either deal with that now or you're going to deal with it when it gets so big that it overwhelms you. Yeah, that is so true. And that, that brings me on to the point, which I love, because like I said, when you've got that success and you're grinding your way up and you're, you know, you're progressing in your career, you're going to have numerous failures. Like there's no way to avoid it. And I think a lot of people have, have that the myth that, you know, when you fail, maybe you're not cut out for things or maybe this isn't for you. You know, everyone who's achieved well just kind of got there. They, you know, they never had any problems. <laughs> I'd love, Joe, if you could just tell us, you know, one or, or a couple of your favorite failures that you've had in business. Oh man, there, there, there are so many. And we like, we, we seriously could do like a 10 week show with just me talking about the failures. There's so many. And, and friends, uh, you know, again, there's a, a shadow to every light, right? And some of the things that I thought were failures actually ended up turning into upsides, but I didn't know it at the time, right? I didn't know it at the time. So couple failures. I mean, Like many entrepreneurs, at one point when times were tough, I ran up a lot of debt on personal credit cards. At one point, I had $70,000 in credit card debt at 29.99% interest (laughs) for years, plural, okay? That's a great way to trash your personal credit while trying to run your business. So there's a financial Mm. downside. Um, There were plenty of times where I didn't save enough money to carry me through down months. And so I had months where I was basically eating peanut butter and jelly for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because there was no money to buy other food with, right? Um, 
There were times where I took projects that I knew I shouldn't take and found myself in lawsuits with people suing me for the projects. Oh yeah, that's fun. And by the way, did you, did I mention earlier that I'm a lawyer? So like when you sue a lawyer, it's like a whole other layer of crazy that you're dealing with, but you got to fight those, right? You got to deal with it. Um, there were times where I sent things out that I thought, you know, there've been dozens of times where I thought I had sent a message and it had gone to everyone and it hadn't. And then when I finally realized it hadn't gone to everybody on my list, it was too late. Um, you know, like technology snafus. Uh, there were, there was a period where I, um, I thought I had a website and actually the website was broken and it wasn't loading for more than three months. And I didn't know. Um, there were times where I hired people who were amazing employees for like the first month. And then they turned into miserably not good employees uh, who were not producing. And I still continued to pay them for months and months, if not over a year. Right. <laughs> I mean, like literally there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of failures. Yeah. Here's how I look at failure though. It's only a failure if two things happen. You don't learn something and you don't get back up. Yeah. I don't care if you get knocked down. Friends, you're going to get knocked down. I've been knocked down more times than I can count. I probably spent more time on my back looking up than I have standing upright, right? Like you get knocked down, you get beat down. The question is, are you going to learn to avoid it? And are you going to get back up? Yeah. And so what I've done is I've started to put in systems that help me avoid those things. So for example, I have a little ping on my calendar on the first of every month. And what does it say? JoeyColeman.com. And that means nothing to anyone else other than me. What it means is on the first of every month, I log in from my laptop and from a phone and from another computer to make sure my website's up. <laughs> now, why do I do that? And are there smarter ways to do that? Absolutely. And do I now have an amazing web hosting company that would let me know if something went wrong? Yes, I do. And it takes me two minutes to know that I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. So not only have I put that into check, but now I have a separate relationship. So I pay more for my hosting than the $8 a month that I was paying. Yeah. I pay with to have a private relationship with a hosting company that manages my security on my website, that manages the uptime. I know the CEO. I know several people on staff. And they're checking it all the time, making sure things are running. So I built that system in, but I have to pay more for that system. So sometimes it depends on where you are in the life cycle of your business. You start to have to pay just to keep things going the way they are, yeah. not to grow or to add on. This becomes just maintenance for yeah. keeping the business up and running. So what I've also found is as your business grows, your expenses grow. Yeah. Even if you are religious and paying attention to them, they still grow. Um, you know, a, a little aside here, and I'm not uh, proud to say this, but let's take it out of the business life into the personal life. Um, about two months ago, my wife and I sat down and we were like, let's review all of our finances, our personal finances. We reviewed the business finance too, but I said, let's review our personal finances. And in order to do that, come to the table with every recurring credit card charge that you have. <laughs> so, I was paying for our family's subscription to HBO. And so was my wife. <laughs> We're paying for two subscriptions to the same 
program and we didn't realize it. Now, two points. Number one, we could beat ourselves up about that and we can look and say, oh my God, how wasteful. How could you spend $15 a month every month for however long we've both had this? We, we, frankly, respectfully, we don't even know when the double overlap occurred, right? We, it's sometime within the last year, but we're not sure when. Yeah. Um, or we could say, all right, so what's the lesson we can learn here? Well, lesson number one, cancel one of the subscriptions. Lesson number two, do we even need to subscribe to HBO? Should we cancel both? Lesson number three, we should sit down and compare all of the numbers more than once a year. Even if we did it once every six months, it would be a better idea. Or once every three months. I share this story not to throw me under the bus or throw my wife under the bus, but to say how we react to things not going our way I think is probably one of the most important skill sets we can develop as humans. How do we respond to failure? Now, two HBO subscriptions, failure with a little F, right? Not a huge thing, not earth shattering. Thankfully, we're in a place where that's not going to, you know, the extra $15 a month wasn't going to bankrupt us at this point in our career. But there was a time where that extra $15 could have been a game changer. Yeah. But it's less about the dollars and more about the concept of what are you doing to pay attention? What are you doing to pay attention to what's going on in your life and opportunities for improvement, opportunities where the shadow is getting bigger than you want it to be, opportunities to think differently about how you run your business and how you run your personal life. That's so true. Joey, thank you so much. It was amazing. Got so much out of that. (laughs) Definitely have to review back over. That is, it's good to it's good to just hear you know your experience of of how things have been in your career to get where you are and and definitely to go over parts of the book because it is really it is incredible and it is a great resource that everyone should get just to be able to practically go through this the phases of what you need to do to get someone from first seeing and hearing about you to being an advocate and creating more fans for you. So thank you so much for your time, Joey. And before you go, can you give everyone um, a bit of a rundown of where they can they can find you? Absolutely. So the best place to uh, find me is at my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you know, or a baby kangaroo. Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment and outdoor equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. The book is called Never Lose a Customer Again. It's available wherever you like to buy your books. We've got an ebook if you want to read that way. We've got a physical hardcover book. We also have an audio book that I recorded. So if you enjoyed the sound of listening to my voice today, I will read the book to you in the audio version. Uh, And I definitely encourage folks to check it out, if nothing else, because I think most businesses when they really look at their customer retention, will realize that there's a shadow side there that deserves some shining of the light on. There's a shadow side that you might want to pay attention to. And uh, I promise you, in the book are dozens of ideas. We have 46 case studies of companies, small, medium, and large, you name it. Uh, There's at least one idea in there that will more than pay for the book. And I make a promise in the book that if you read the book and you don't get value, just let me know and I'll refund your money. Um, And it's a promise that I made because I really wanted to write something that would stand the test of time and provide a lot of tactical, practical value to people who were willing to invest the time to read it. Yeah. 
oh, Joey, there is far more in that book than, uh, than you get. Your return on investment is exponential on that. It is well, brilliant. thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, we uh, wish you all the best for the rest of the lockdown. And uh, I hope to hear from you again soon. Thanks, Hannah, and I appreciate it. And thanks to everybody for listening. Really appreciate your time. Hope you enjoyed our conversations. Yeah, it was great. Thank you very much, Joey. Thanks for watching. If you want to join the revolution, follow and subscribe here. And if you want to revolutionize the way your business and your life is run, then contact us to find out more about our consulting and coaching packages. You can contact us via email, admin at hustonconsultants.co.uk. 